Hell yeah. And I see you at a Bloody Mary this morning. Who, me? Yeah. No way, homie. Just iced coffee. I know it's really Oh, the red cup. The Got cup me. Is, yeah, the cup is like orange, yeah. Oh, all right, all right. I if I took a sip and was like, it is a Bloody Mary. <laughs> I made it in my sleep. I made it beef. <laughs> oh, you could have any magical power. What would it be? Boom. That's it. Used to be, <laughs> used to be flying. Maybe not anymore. Just <laughs> like Jesus, just water into wine, water into beer. Bloody Mary, mm, gin and tonics. I would be the best bartender because like they could just say what they want and I don't have to mix it. Just done. Ooh, and you could probably know how they wanted it too. Like you're gonna make them their version of a gin and tonic. Yeah, <gasps> that's the superpower. Read. I'll read your thoughts. Make the perfect drink. Yes. Yes. Aaron, what about you? Probably teleporting to different places. Okay. All right. Well, if you want to be like smart about it, yeah, that'd be cool. (laughs) (laughs) I used to, okay, whenever I was in high school, I wanted more people to comment on my Facebook. So I would make posts like that. Like, if you had any superpower, what would it be? Guess what? I didn't get that many comments because people were like, quit being so desperate. (laughs) But that's such a fun question. Sarah, what would your superpower be? Yeah, I have one. It used to be I would turn tan instantaneously. Oh my lord. uh. I told that to a, um, oh, I was ziplining once and the lady's like, okay, to to see who goes first on this next one, like, tell me your superpower. And I was like, I would turn tan instantaneously. And she's like, really? Your last. (laughs) (laughs) I did go last. And I was there on a date and he was like, why did you say that? And I was like, because I thought it would be funny <laughs> i don't tan that easy Hello, do you um, see my skin <laughs> i would probably be super fast because imagine all the stuff you could get done if you were just really really fast yeah that's yeah. true like like my house could be clean in like five minutes and then i could play sims for a long time okay whoa whoa i got it you ready for this erin mm-hmm. teleports to pick up sarah sarah then teleports with erin to come to my house Sarah quickly cleans my house, and then as a reward, I make us all drinks. Are we making a TV show? Because that sounds like the opening scenes. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome to Sinister Sunrise. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Morgan. And we are here to entertain you this morning. All right, so our game, we each have a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. And step, step one, you're going to shuffle said deck of cards. All right. I can't, so I'm just going to put them in a pile and move them around. You can't shuffle them? No. I have child-sized hands. Wow. Have word. you never noticed that? Mine were made extra large, so as I say that, I was like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're very proud. All right, Ugh. take the top card off your deck and show it to everybody. Like on three. Aces are high in this game. <gasps> what are the odds? Okay, okay, so Morgan has an ace, Sarah has a king, and Glue has a jack. So it's going to wow. go Morgan, me, Glue. Wow. Yeah. All right. The one time I win. Hello, world. <laughs> I should have said aces are low. I messed that up. You chose the Anyway, rules, that was my I. quick easy game, <laughs> ladies. <laughs> yeah. All what right. store you got for us, ma'am? Today, I actually did really deep research on this. Ooh. It's probably one of my longer, like, notes-wise, but it's pretty, it's pretty quick. So, today, I am bringing you... Okay, do not laugh. I, this is a... This is a place in a foreign country, so do not laugh at. I wrote it out, but it's hard. Ahuki. Okay. <laughs> I did my research last week, so it's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ahuki Gahara. Ahuki Gahara. Yeah. Ahuki Gahara uh-huh. is the suicide forest in Japan, if you've ever heard of it. Ooh, I will not yeah. call it by. I will not call it by its real name, <laughs> the rest of the story, because you heard me. That was bad. So I'm going to call it Suicide Forest uh, for the rest of the time I'm speaking. So here we go. Uh, the forest is also like 
it's uh okay i have to say it one more <laughs> i have to say it one more time jesus <sighs> ahu kiahara means sea of trees wow okay okay then <clears throat> and it is located in the northwestern flank of mount fuji and i had to look up what a flank was when it came to like not a flank steak and it means like <laughs> <laughs> But that does sound really juicy. Right? Literally. But it means... <laughs> hate my life. Uh, it means, like, edge. So if you picture, like, overhead okay. view of, like, Mount Fuji, and there's, like, the base mm-hmm. of the mountain, off of the base of the mountain, that's where okay. this forest okay. is. Um, so while there are lads, uh, <laughs> a lot of sad connotations associated here, there are actual trails in the forest. Those trails lead to tourist attractions, here we go again, like Narusawa Ice Cave, Fugaku Wind Cave, um, and several others. And I, again, so sorry, world. I'm I'm not good with other languages. Please be kind. Thank you. Uh, The ground also mostly consists of volcanic rock, um, hence Mount Fuji. Um, there are countless, t- <laughs> there are countless types of trees, plants, and flowers. Like, seriously, if you're into that kind of thing, like, go look it up. Even just Wikipedia has, like, all the different types, like, listed out. It's a massive list. Um, I didn't want to drag that on. There are mm-hmm. also lots of animals. Again, this is on Wikipedia. Um, they have black bears, moles, bats, mice, deer, fox, boars, and lots of, lots of birds include i'm not kidding including the great tit the wallow tit the long-tailed tit etc <laughs> i had to listen those out because you wanted to say tit didn't you <laughs> no <laughs> it was just too funny like so it had a subtle. bunch of it had a bunch of Barely birds noticed. It, <laughs> it had so many birds and it listed those ones out and i was like okay come on so yeah <laughs> I'll take the bait. Okay. (laughs) Whoever wrote that Wikipedia page did that on purpose. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, They knew their audience. They list out like four other types and then like that one has like this all all broken down. They couldn't just say like variety of tit. Like, oh, that's worse too. I don't know. That's almost worse. Yeah. Like, whatever do you mean? (laughs) So now changing to the kind of sad side of this location. This forest is by its known name, a very popular place for people to end their lives or attempt to do so. Uh, Due to the rise in the last 10-ish years, the forest entry has been doned with signs asking for people to think of their uh, families and friends, um, as well as phone numbers and resources to help people to try to give them a chance to reflect on that choice. So it's really nice. It's just like big, like, signs like you would see like going into a forest like warning you about bears there's these ones warning you to take a minute and think about the actions yeah. you're about to do so it's it's, mm-hmm. it's good that they actually acknowledge it and aren't just making it think like it's not really there um so um i also found um use the source uh japanesetimes.co um again this if you can't tell by the title of this it does Um, We do discuss a little bit of suicide, so if you'd like to not listen to this, please do so, but here we go. Um, Bodies are found in, quote, monthly sweeps coordinated by police and volunteer firemen. As they move around the forest, searches will sadly leave markers on trees of either to designate that they have found someone. Um, Another way they do that is also just to be able to make sure they can find their way back out. So not only do these people who do these searches do this, but also people who are just going into the forest to hike. Um, It is so dense with trees that they will like wrap colorful plastic around trees or even like carry the colored tape with them as they go so that they can follow the trail back out to the exit. Oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Wiki said due to... Like, it's just kind of an odd number. Wiki said over 200, and Japan Times said 247. So around that number are the bodies found. Um, Together, police records show that 247 people have made suicide attempts in 2010, 54 being successful. So they either have found people who are attempting it or who are, like, hurt from attempting it, and they have found 54, quote, 
I hate the word being successful, but have completed suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, that is just as what is reported and not found. So that 247 oh. number could be higher, could be lower. That 54 body count could be higher. Um, that forest is extremely dense. They, Wiki said in recent years, the numbers of cases um, are not being publicized. Um, the last number that I could see was from 2015. 13, I believe. This is an attempt to decrease the forest's association with suicide. So like I mentioned in the beginning, there are tourist attractions that, you know, take you to ice caves, take you to really cool things. They're great walking trails. Um, They're trying to kind of publicize that instead of the negative side of it. Um, That makes sense. It does say, yeah, it does say the site's popularity has been attributed to a 1961 novel. It's called Tower of Waves in English, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it in a different language because I do not (laughs) want to be that disrespectful. It's it's really hard to say. But history of suicide in the forest has been noted before the novel the novel's publication. And then another word, I'm going to butcher it. Abasute may have been practiced there um, in the 19th century. Abasute is, quote, a rare old practice of senicide, senicide, uh, in Japan. This is where someone in their family or friends take an elderly relative. Um, they are carried to a remote location and left there to die. Instantly, what? I thought of a calmer version of Midsummer. That movie <laughs> effed my life up forever. I, Everyone's like, let's watch it again. I cannot. I cannot. Will not. It freaked me out. But in case you haven't seen it, sorry, spoilers, but when they take the old people to the mountain and oh, yeah. viciously kill them, I'm sorry, there's nothing okay about any of that. This was the more humane, I don't want to use that word, but calmer, I'll use calmer, calmer way to end an elderly person's life. So if they became like a burden on the family or just wanted to be done with life, the family yeah. would take them to a remote spot well and if you think about like the japanese culture they are very family based instead of just like self-based so i could totally see that being a thing like if the that older person is like you know i don't have very long to live i'm only being a burden you shouldn't have to you know spend money on me or anything anymore so i could see it yeah i know that's a big topic of discussion for a lot of people whether that's right or wrong but yeah it's a completely different culture so very interesting nothing like that oh yeah no not at all i mean and i've read cases too like nothing to do with this but like you know uh, um it's kind of similar to me in when people do like the assisting suicides there's like companies that will like go to someone on hospice and like sit with them or they'll just like give them medicine or whatever it is that they however they would like to end their life do that and go it depends on the person but like that's a very sensitive personal topic that probably we don't need to talk discuss Mm -hmm. but it's just it's out there so Mm -hmm. wanted to bring light that this has been they said it was this 1961 publication but again saw on wiki that this like did potentially go back further than that so um, just one of those places in a in a in a land up like Japan where that was maybe a little bit more common. This sounds like a place that would probably be prime for that tradition. So, and again, it did say mm-hmm. rare mm-hmm. old tradition. So it's not like every family does this or anything like that. It's just yeah, it yeah, is discussed. So, yes. Um, so while some legends make locals and tourists believe the forest is haunted by a yuri. I, again, sorry guys, words are hard. Uh, a yuri is the <laughs> uh, basically Japanese equivalent to ghosts. So they think that it's haunted oh, by yeah. these yuris. Mm-hmm. So uh, whether there are ghosts in the forest or not, it is regardless very, very eerie. It is dark due to the massive amounts of trees. The ground is uneven. There are roots sticking out, making quick travel by foot almost impossible. Um so, like, let's just say, like, if you're in the middle of the woods, even if you have your, you know, colorful ribbon to lead you out, like, you're not leaving quickly. You cannot run here because the ground is just, I mean, you're at the practically the base of a mountain. So, it's volcanic rock roots sticking up everywhere. Like, you're not leaving fast. So, very spooky. Uh, yeah. And then I also read on a couple of spots, it is so, so quiet. I know we hear that a lot with, like, quote, spooky places, but 
since there is hardly any wind that can like penetrate past uh, not a good enough word excuse to use the word penetrate but anyway since it can't like get past like the first like line of trees when you're in the middle it's ridiculous uh one visitor was quoted yeah one uh visitor was quoted on mental floss um saying i cannot emphasize enough the absence of sound my breath sounded like a roar goosebumps whoa (laughs) yeah (laughs) so to end hopefully the forest can continue to attract tourists and get rid of the negative press associated with it to quote our good old uh co-host sarah be good to yourselves and if you or someone you know (laughs) needs an outlet there is a national suicide prevention lifeline for the united states it is 1-800-273-8255 that's it Suicide Forest, friends. Also, oh, sorry. I was just going to preface by saying, don't be like Jake Paul at all. Okay, so I was- Did you hear that story about him? I didn't know if one of you was going to bring it up, and and I didn't want to make all of my research about that, but I did- Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. But he, like- What's Jake Paul? So he is a, yeah, right. He's a YouTuber, and he went with, like, two other people, but he went because of- he went for the suicide forest and he took like a video of someone there that had completed a suicide and he got dragged. Yeah. I mean, okay. I will say when all of this happened, it was probably more than two years ago. Yeah. I would, I would say we may have just graduated college. I don't really remember. Um, and I had heard of the suicide forest before cause I'm a weirdie and I like paranormal stuff. Um, so I mm-hmm. watched that video before it was like said to be bad. It was only up for like a couple days and not that I followed him, but I just happened to like be on YouTube and I saw it. So the whole video is kind of like a typical someone going to a haunted place and like just a bunch of talking and nothing's really happening. Um, mm-hmm. so him and some buddies go, like Aaron said, do go into the forest and I will preface it. You can, the I've watched the original video and the video that has been edited or whatever. And like the clips I've seen, I did a lot of deep diving, excuse me, deep diving into like the thing at hand, the segment of the video that they are talking about where they think they saw a body one barely can see if that is what it is. You can barely see it Mm -hmm. Two, you hear them. Like, it's not like they saw it and zoomed in. From what I remember, they were, like, like walking, and they saw it, and they were like, whoa, what is that? That looks like a body. Yeah. So it's not like they weren't mm-hmm. filming, saw a body, and decided to film it. However, they also did not decide to stop filming. And right? they, like, <laughs> zoomed in on it, and, like, you can't, oh, I mean, all you, you don't really see, it's literally, like, behind a tree. Again, the forest is extremely dense. There's trees everywhere. One of the things I read, which was kind of hard to hear, was like, you could walk past a body and not even know it was there because it's just so dense. Mm-hmm. People yeah. end their life by hanging. People end their life by um, overdosing. So you could literally, someone could be at the base of a tree on the other side mm-hmm. and you would never walk past them. So it was just a matter of he left that video unedited and put it on YouTube. So... It's very disrespectful to the yeah. place, to that person. Also, yeah. sorry not to be like that type of person, not to be that human, but like YouTube has guidelines, bro. Like you can't just, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, kids see that. Come on. Like he was a famous, he was on Vine. So like kids younger than us knew what he, like who he was. So oh, no. overall he got, like Aaron said, dragged for this and basically it like ended <laughs> well, his good. video stuff. Yeah. So and maybe like it awful. didn't and maybe it didn't start out as like an ill intentions kind of thing but i right. think with how like well known that um forest is now for yeah. that happening i feel like people would go there just to see that instead of like you said the exactly. touristy stuff the exactly. ice caves and whatnot Which is like awful. i think it would yeah they've like they've been trying since about 2014 to try to destigmatize that yeah. so for him to you know 2017 or around that time to go do that just terrible just terrible i mean you yeah. don't glam- well, you never should glamorize that so yeah no 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 morgan whenever you're researching did you find anything like 
there's a spirit in the woods that makes people commit suicide or is it just like the woods are quiet it's dense it's easy to get lost um i didn't i truly did not kind of go that path this one i wanted to be a little bit more factual with this one um okay i mean obviously it said they say they think it is haunted I mean, the thing of the matter is you, if you, even if you don't go into that woods with, you know, those intentions, if you get lost, bro, you're going to go crazy. There's nothing. I mean, there's nothing like there's no sounds. There's no birds Mm -hmm. chirping. It's not, there's no sunshine. Like, oh, so I'm sure if there is, there probably is a whole like subculture of like people going crazy and or seeing maybe a spirit who knows. Um, mm-hmm. I could probably dive deeper into that one, but yeah, I did not see anything specifically called out. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm sure people have reported seeing, seeing some stuff. That's for sure. Well, yeah. Yeah. So also yet again, top 10 reasons to not let us do your travel guides. <laughs> <laughs> Come visit well, Japan. Yeah, right. I mean, I could go to the ice cave. I could go see some cool stuff in there. That's fine. That's cool. It sounds cool. The forest itself sounds really cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see it. Um, you know, it's just kind of, it's, again, I, I was hoping you guys, one of you would bring up the Jake Paul thing or Paul, what, Logan Paul, whatever their, whatever their names are. Um, I think it was Jake. <laughs> there's brothers. I just, if you would like to dive down that rabbit hole, absolutely go. It's, I, if you watch it, I don't know how anyone could still defend him, but it's just, no, I'm good. So, yeah, take what I taught you, and then if you want to take a spin at the the Logan Paul stuff, go for it. I almost called him Jake again. Jesus Christ! All right. Anyway, yes. So, <laughs> again, after him, we've got a lot more work to do to destigmatize it. So, if you are in Japan yes. and you want to hit up a cool tourist attraction, you should check out the Sea of Trees because that's what I'm going to call it from now on. The end. Okay, very cool. Well, thank you. Welcome. All righty. This morning, I have a dream for you ladies. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yes. And I used dreammeaning.net, dream encyclopedia, my handy dandy dream interpretation handbook by Karen Frazier. Woohoo. Got it on Amazon. Cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> and um, I got on Reddit because I found this whole thing about feeling pain in a dream. So I have some questions Ooh. for you guys and your opinions. Yes. Okay. So this dream was sent to me via Instagram from Abby A. And just a reminder, you can send us stuff that way too. It doesn't have to be our email. I personally am am Lun. That's L-U-N as a Nancy. N as a Nancy again with two underscores money. (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to explain myself on that one at Instagram. Or you can also find Sinister Sunrise Podcast on Instagram. So who's ready for this doozy? I am. Me. Okay. All right. So Abby says, fair warning, I've been watching a lot of Handmaid's Tale, so the setting was very (laughs) similar to that. I was in some kind of prison or learning center for women, and everyone around me was on edge and stressed, and they were all wearing matching black jumpsuits. I start to panic because I realize it's been years since I've seen my family or my boyfriend. I walk up to this plump woman who's in charge, and I ask how much longer I have to stay. I, I was put here by mistake. I know I hit someone with my car, but no one was hurt. She replied that my crime was for owning a car in the first place. Oh, oh no. (laughs) And I have to stay here for a total of six years. For asking, I was made to crawl on my hands and feet for laps in in the front yard of the prison. The yard is not manicured, so there's sticks and rocks and it hurts. I start sobbing while I crawl. I wake up. Oh my God. Yeah. So I only have one dream for you guys today because it was heavy. Yeah. So uh, heavy stuff. <laughs> Abby, my first piece of advice would be maybe don't watch Handmaid's Tale right before bed. It doesn't <laughs> seem to give you great dreams. <laughs> no. But yes, if we break it down, we can see some themes. Um, you're unfairly incarcerated. You don't have control of your own fate. You're very tense and you are in pain. Again, I am so sorry. This was your nightmare. So... To dream of being in a prison often means you feel trapped or stuck, which is pretty, makes sense. This could mean trapped in a relationship, in a job, in a friendship, you name it. It could also mean that you feel guilty about something and you believe that you are or should be punished for something that you did. Also, when I was researching what it means to be in prison in a dream, I came across what it means to talk to a prison guard in your dream. 
And this seems pertinent to yours in particular, since this person was the one who actually helps you understand why you were there. Even if the crime is a stupid one, like owning a car. So when you dream of a prison guard, you are really identifying someone that knows your deepest secrets. So regardless of how close you are to the person in your waking life, you are always a little on edge that if this person told your secrets, they could make your life hell. So these types of dreams normally have a negative connotation, much like yours does, that you feel restricted by the prison guard's knowledge, Hmm. which I thought was really spooky. Yeah. So yes, same thing with your crime. You immediately know that you're in prison because you hit someone with a car, which I think it's insane that your mind can make a memory from within your dream. Like I love the human mind, but it's terrifying. Yeah. Like it was like not even just like an afterthought. Like it was that I did this because of this. And they were like, no, it's because you owned a car. Ah! Ah! Yeah. Yes. But it doesn't seem like you had much control of the car, much in the same way that you may not feel like you're in control over your life right now and the paths that you're taking. So that actual like the fact that you immediately thought it was because you hit someone with your car, it kind of shows, you know, that loss of control over the vehicle. Okay. So, yes. According to dreamstop.com, to be punished in a dream shows that you feel guilty, probably about something that you did in the past and still haven't forgiven yourself for, but you didn't feel guilty when you were actually in the jail and crawling around, so that shows you feel unfairly treated. Like, maybe you know you're guilty, but you think, even you maybe know that you're beating yourself up too much. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And to crawl in a dream, more specifically to crawl on all fours, which I love the internet because they had... They had this to search. Of course um, they did. <laughs> yeah. They point out the fact that you are embarrassed about something in your daily life. It can also show uncertainty. So, I mean, like children, they crawl before they walk. It's a symbol of learning and not having confidence to be on your feet just yet. Hmm. And here's where I took some weird deep dive. So, according to Reddit, there's two schools of thought on feeling pain in your dream. So, either yes, you do, and it's very real, like mostly you may be moving in a way that's causing you pain, or it's being played out in your dreams. So you can associate what you're doing in your dream with the idea of pain. So it's all in your head. Whoa. Isn't that so cool? I don't know which one I believe more. Because I remember I talked about a dream of mine where I felt like I was being strangled and I thought like I was probably like sleeping a weird way so I couldn't breathe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to me, they both make sense. But what do you guys think? I think it is both. I hate to always Mm -hmm. say, I feel like I'm always like like mid ground for what, you know, those questions you ask, but truly- I think it's about the type of dream. Like, That's if, fair. The, if the pain is, like, unrealistic, like, okay, Sarah, you got your arm bit off by a cheetah in that one dream. <laughs> if you're like, oh, no, ow, that hurts, I think that's probably in your head. And it's, like, so dramatic. Yes. Like, you're seeing the action. It's like, oh, no. But if you and your dream, like, felt like you are being strangled, it does make sense that you were kind of, like, in a weird spot, especially, mm-hmm. like, we don't know, we know so little, honestly, about the brain. Like, you could be, like, halfway between, like, you'd be, like, coming out of REM. Who knows? Maybe you were, like, a little bit more conscience. Con- conscience? Oh, my God. <laughs> we had a little more. Cautious? More What's conscious? the word? Conscience. I couldn't say the word. Jesus Christ. It's early. It's fine. I've only had a half a cup of coffee. But maybe you're, like, a little bit more awake than <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like... Can anyone mm-hmm. help me? Yeah, sorry. That That's where I'm at. I think it's depends on the dream. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because also she didn't, um, Abby didn't say she woke up with like bruises on her legs or anything. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. in my head, this one would almost have to be in your head. But Erin, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think I agree with Morgan. I think it is more of a bit of both. Um, I don't know about you guys. I toss and turn in my sleep. So sometimes I'll wake up. Again, I don't always remember my dreams, but have you guys ever like woken up and like your arm or maybe your legs asleep, but it almost mm-hmm. feels like, like it takes a while for it to move. Like mine almost, okay. Every do you know the night. scene in Harry Potter when he's playing Quidditch and his arm is literally like rubber, his arm <laughs> yeah, gets like yeah, turned. Yeah, That's yeah. what my arm will feel like. Like it, I have to hold yeah. it with my other arm because it's been asleep yep. for like that long. And I'm yeah. like, it's oh like my it's God, do I have like, feeling in my arm? <laughs> what? Yes. It's like, it's, a, it, I feel like it's different too like sometimes I'm like oh it's just kind of asleep but like sometimes it's like it's asleep in my shoulder in my arm mm-hmm. and in my elbow and no in it's my literally hand. like 
my like, entire arm. Yeah, but it's like I can't even like move the joint. Like, yeah, I, yes, Aaron. Yes, I'm agreeing one hundred and fifty percent. I hear you, and I'm an anxious person. So every time that happens, and I wake up, I'm like, oh my god, like is this how I lose a limb? Like, how have I been doing yes. this my whole life? Okay, yes. I'm so happy this isn't just a me thing because oh I'm god. like, am I the only one that this happens to? Because oh, no. it happens a- all the time. And again, I don't remember dreams as much, so I don't know if it ever like ties into my dream, and that's why I wake up because I'm losing nice. feeling in my arm but what are, you know I've been having some morbid ass dreams Ooh. what if it's just us three i'm just kidding <laughs> the least guys does everyone other. else have their <laughs> please tell us your arms and legs fall asleep while you're sleeping help us help us yeah can you make us feel better about ourselves can you just let us yeah. know we're not the only ones I and if am, that means you uh, have to lie to us i'm cool with it i'm very yeah, cool yeah yeah I am uh, 97 years old, and I recently bought a knee pillow for my legs while I sleep, and it has helped a lot. I might do that. I bought it on Amazon, and I actually really like it. I do sleep. When I wake up, I'm, like, frustrated because the pillow, I'm like, I forget it's there, and I'm like, ah, Jesus, and it's, like, all tangled (laughs) around my legs, but in the end, I'm actually falling asleep better. My neck's not hurting. My back's not hurting. You know, keep that that spine aligned, friends, you know. (laughs) But yeah. So. What did people do before like 1900 when we had pillows to spare? I don't understand. Like, you imagine sleeping on a rock in the in the ground? No, because I'd be deceased. <laughs> I That's why no one it. lived that long. They weren't getting good sleep. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's the only stress. reason. They didn't even know if they were awake or asleep. Are we dreaming? What's happening? They don't even. We don't even oh, know. God. I don't envy Oy. them. No. But sorry, Abby, back to you. Okay, so I'm going to repeat myself from earlier. Do not watch Handmaid's Tale right before bed. It's a great show, and it gave me great content with your dream, so thank you. But I don't think it's a great mindset for you to be in if this is what it does to your sleep. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Obviously, something is eating away at you, something you feel bad or guilty about. But whatever it is, do yourself a favor and forgive yourself. You are literally the one person that is in control of your life. I know things may seem limited and uncertain right now because of the pandemic and the changing rules, but at the end of the day, you have to be good to yourself first. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone deserves forgiveness, especially if your crime is owning a car. (laughs) That's my bit. (laughs) Or even hitting someone with a car. I myself have collided with a bicyclist. And yes, I may lose some sleep, but not that much. So forgive yourself. It's totally fine. They hit me. I don't want to hear about it. In a Walmart parking lot. (laughs) Okay. Also, I'm not a great driver. I've never claimed to be a great driver. I know this. Everyone should know this. And yes, I do know that I bought myself a brand new car and that was probably not the best choice on my part. Okay, fine. We'll go into it. I was, I was six. No, I was 18. I was in a Walmart parking lot and I was in a Mustang. It was my first Mustang, which take that how you will. We are a Mustang family, the Lunds. And I was pulling out of a spot and you kind of have to pull out slow because the noses of Mustangs are like really long. So Mm -hmm. even if I was going fast, it wouldn't be like a normal, like just whip it out of a spot fast. And a bicyclist who I think was like 17, we're the same age-ish, came at me 90 miles per hour. It had to be. No, it was like five maybe. Wow, wow. And they ran into the side of my car (laughs) and then their handlebar went on top of my car, and they flew over the hood of my car. Oh, oh, no. And my friend in the car with me was like, "Um, you need to get out and check on them. But I couldn't feel my legs. Like, I was like, "I did I just kill someone? Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. Because I had never been in a car accident, like, to this day, like, yeah. knock on wood. I've still yeah. not been in a car accident. And so people are getting out of their cars at Walmart to, like, try and come over. And so I get out of the car. And I was like, hey, are you yeah. good? You're and this dead? person was just as shaken up as I was. And they're like, yeah, is your car good? And I was like, it's Aww. probably fine. I don't see anything. And then we just shook hands and that was it. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, come on. Yeah. Are you dreaming? Come on. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I wish I was I, It sounds like a dream I would have, but no. Lately in my dream, everyone's been like wow. dying or breaking up with me. What the hell? So, Sarah, I will never break up with you. Thank you. Like, I had a dream last night that it got to our wedding day, and my mom changed the wedding plans because of COVID. And I was like, damn it, this is not the wedding I wanted. And then <laughs> only, like, 10 people were there. And I saw Andrew, when he was just shaking his head, like, Sarah. And I get up there, and I'm like, okay, like, we're going to do it. And he's like, 
Yeah, he was like, "This is a waste. Like, we're not doing this. We we're not even. Oh, we need a break. It's a waste. Was, oh no! Right now, right now, we need a break. Uh, I'm in the and dress. Then I was living right with Brooke. Oh my god! And then I got two guys' numbers at Walmart. So it was end up being Walmart. like, screw you. I can get people. Yeah, Walmart I was trying people. to get pizza out of the frozen foods aisle, and it was kind of like stacked weird. So two guys came and helped me. Like, can we get your number? And I was like, I guess since I'm single now. <laughs> Don't let me hit you with my Mustang, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm making it. Anyway, so that's all I had. And everyone was fine in my collision. Mm-hmm. So uh, my friends, I'd say it was me being a bad driver, but I don't quite full. T- I, it, I don't know. It could be. It could be. Aaron, what uh-huh. do you got? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and thank you, Abby. Sorry. Thank you, Abby, yeah. for your dream. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, thank you. Very interesting. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome, I think. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So today, guys, we are taking a trip to Poland for the bizarre (gasps) story I have for you guys today. My homeland. Um, Is it really? Yeah, I'm like, I'm pretty Polish. Kolak. That's awesome. German, Polish. Oh, cool. I'm bad at the last names thing. I never know what's from what. I don't either. I just said it out loud because that's what I've heard. I Go on. <laughs> I know Lun either means like it could mean Monday or it could mean like lawn. Monday sounds a lot like money. Monday. Uh, maybe mm. so maybe because I think it's money money. <laughs> In Italian, I think it's like um Monday is like L U N D Lund. Oh so, no. close. I would be named it's... after the worst day of the week. Monday. Monday. That's it. No no why. <laughs> Lund Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Aaron, Poland, teach me. <laughs> yes. Bring us across so, the way. <laughs> Real quick, my sources are an investigative article in The New Yorker by David Gran, The Guardian, and different articles on Murderpedia. And real quick, just going to apologize in advance for the names of people in towns that I will surely butcher. So here goes. You know I forgive you. On on December 10th, 2000, in Wrocław, Poland, three fishermen discovered the mutilated body of a man in the Odra River. The three men dragged the body, which was partially clothed in a sweatshirt and underwear, to the shore and discovered that the man's hands were tied behind his back with rope, which attached to a noose around his neck. Whoa. What? So it was all just like, like one lawn thing of rope that yeah. was tied behind his back and put into a noose. Oh, my God. I had to read that a couple times. I was like, oh, that makes more sense. It's so like, kind of jigsaw. Like move, okay. If you move your arms, it'll choke you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no. Face. Yeah, it's bad. Mm-hmm. The police were called, and when they arrived on the scene, they quickly identified the man as Darius Yanishevsky, the owner of a local advertising agency who had been missing for the past four weeks. According Ooh. to friends and family, Yanishevsky had never been in trouble with the law and didn't have any enemies. He was described as gentle and enjoyed playing guitar and composing music for his band. And he and his wife were in the process of adopting a child. Oh, so, no. I don't yeah. want to know. No. Oh, I what? can only hope one day to be described as gentle, but I never will. I'm very aggressive. Like, not mean aggressive, but like loud and in charge. Gentle? I don't know. With your pets, I would say you're gentle. Oh, thank you. But gentle yeah. and adoption? <sighs> Can't they kill yeah. a mean guy instead? Yeah. Kill bad guys, not good guys. <laughs> and his wife here's... told... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was like, here's where you tell us he was a secret bad guy. Right, Aaron? <laughs> well, she told officers, quote, he was not the kind of person who would provoke fights. He wouldn't harm anybody. Oh no. oh no! And here's where you tell us he's a bad guy, right, what Aaron? His, what was his first name again? Darius. Darius. Oh. I was waiting mm-hmm. for like Mr. Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> American oh, <no>. hero. <laughs> oh, wow. According to the Associated Press, Yanishevsky's body showed signs of starvation and torture. So police launched an investigation into his murder, but after six months with no leads, the case went cold. And it remained cold for five years until lead investigator Yashik Yeshik 
Roblevsky received an anonymous tip to check out Christian Bala's 2003 debut novel, Amok, which detailed a sort of similar murder. So in the novel, the sadistic narrator, Chris, has multiple sexual conquests and murders his girlfriend, Mary. The novel detailed how Chris tied Mary's hands behind her back with rope and, quote, tightened the noose around her neck, end quote, before stabbing her to death with a Japanese knife. So you have the detail of, like, the rope, that's similar, but nothing really else. So Roblevsky brought out Yanishevsky's case file and began to do some more digging since it hadn't been looked at in a while. And he discovered that Yanishevsky's mother, who worked as a bookkeeper at his advertising agency, gave a statement to police detailing how around 9.30 a.m. on the morning of her son's disappearance, a man had called requesting signs to be made. She said she didn't recognize the man's voice and he didn't provide his name, but he refused to talk about his request with her, demanding that he speak to Yanishevsky. So she told him that her son was not in the office at the moment, so she gave him um, his cell phone number. Later, when Yanishevsky arrived at the office, his mother asked if a man had called inquiring about signs. Yanishevsky told her that he had arranged to meet the customer later that afternoon. Mm-hmm. So pretty normal. The receptionist at the office, who was the last known person to see Yanishevsky alive, told police that he had left the office around 4 o'clock, leaving his car in the parking lot, which co-workers and his mom noted was strange. Usually if he was meeting someone else um, or a customer, he would typically take his car with him. So I'm not sure what that arrangement was, if he was able to walk to that place or if he was picked up by someone. I'm not really sure, but he did not take his car with him. And the receptionist also told officers that she had seen two men who appeared to be following Yanishevsky, but she couldn't provide any details about them. Come on. Okay. That's awful. Yeah. Like, how bad would you feel like, I may have seen them, but I can't tell you anything about them? Yeah. I would hate my own brain. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Think of something. Come on. Mm Mm-hmm. Investigators checked phone records and discovered that both the phone calls to Yanishevsky's office and his cell phone came from the same phone booth, which was located just down the street from the advertising agency. However, there was no evidence to suggest that the caller was the murderer they were looking for. After poring over the case file for several days, Roblevsky realized that Yanishevsky's cell phone had never been found. Mm. So he enlisted the help of the police department's telecommunications specialist to attempt to track down the cell phone. And initially, they seemed like it was a lost cause. The phone hadn't been used since Yanishevsky's disappearance. Um, So officers contacted Yanishevsky's wife, who was able to provide them with a receipt which contained the serial number to her husband's phone. So Roblevsky entered, yeah, he entered the serial number into the search engine and found a match. The phone had been sold on this website called Allegro, which is an internet auction site, by seller Chris B7, four days after Yanishevsky's disappearance. And investigators discovered, yeah, they discovered that the seller of the phone was none other than Polish author Christian Bala. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Yeah. But, okay, take that with a grain of salt because Bala could have possibly found the phone on the street or bought it from someone else. Maybe went to a pawn shop. But Roblewski couldn't. I'm going to take it with the mound of salt that my dad puts on McDonald's fries. This, to me, is a red flag. No, no, no. Definitely a red flag. Um, Still not necessarily concrete. Yes, he has this phone. So Roblevsky goes back to Bala's book, Amok, just to search for more similarities to the case. He did find it interesting that the protagonist of the story had the same name as the seller on the internet auction site. And while Mary and Yanishevsky's murders weren't exactly the same, Roblevsky discovered an eerie passage alluding to a detail in the case that only the perpetrator would have known. So in the story, after Chris murders Mary, he sells the murder weapon, the Japanese knife, on the internet. And investigators apparently never publicly announced that Yanishevsky's phone had been sold on the internet. So Roblevsky thought this was just too much to be a coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Roblevsky and his team also noted some similarities between Bala and his fictional counterpart, Chris. Both men had the same philosophical interests, were divorced, drank in excess, filed their businesses for bankruptcy, traveled around the world, and had gotten in trouble with the law. So Roblevsky obtained the police report on Bala's previous arrest, which was pretty much detailed to a T in Amok. After a night of drinking, Bala and his friend went out to a store to purchase more alcohol when they came across a church. The two went inside and found a St. Anthony's figure, which they ended up stealing because they apparently wanted a third person to drink with them, even if the person was an inanimate object. <laughs> that one's kind of funny. <laughs> that, I know. Yeah. I need a third buddy. So we probably, like, I mean, very, I don't know, a very silly thing to be caught by police. He probably just had to pay a fine or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but also in Amok, police catch the protagonist, Chris, and his friend drinking with the St. Anthony statue. So pretty much the same going on there. What? So it's an autobiography that he's passing off as fiction? Like, well, this was really interesting. According to the New Yorker, a psychologist was asked to analyze the character of Chris as a way for the police to possibly gain some insight into Bala. The psychologist's report described Chris as egocentric and sadistic. He appeared to have psychopathic behaviors and considered other people to be intellectually inferior. While the, th- while the psychologist did acknowledge that both Bala and Chris did share the same philosophy and some life situations, she claimed that overlap between authors and their characters is common. She also warned, quote, basing an analysis of the author on his fictional character would be a gross violation, end quote. So I can kind of agree with that as well. So far, the information Roblevsky and his team uncovered from Amok was circumstantial. The selling of Yanishevsky's cell phone was the only concrete evidence they had, but they knew they needed more if they hoped to convict Bala of murder. According to The New Yorker, Roblevsky and the telecommunications expert checked to see whether Bala bought or sold any other items using his login crispy 7 they discovered that on October 17th, 2000, a month before Yanishevsky's disappearance, Bala had searched and clicked on an Allegro auction site for a police manual titled Accidental, Suicidal, or Criminal Hanging. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. So all about hangings, I guess. <laughs> Cute. As you do. As you do. And Actually, Bala- to be fair, if anyone looked at our search histories, it may look a little suspicious also. True. Yeah. yeah. You can't tell me it's just for their podcast. They have some sinister <laughs> motives. <laughs> but this guy definitely is guilty. Oh, yeah. Speculation engaged. Mm-hmm. The thing is, though, Bala didn't appear to purchase the item, at least not off of the Allegro website. But the fact that he was searching for it seemed to Roblevsky to be a sign of premeditation. Mm-hmm. At this time, Bala was living abroad. So he did like to travel. He wasn't living in Poland at the time, but he was known to regularly visit family and come back to visit them in Poland. Roblevsky didn't want Bala to be tipped off about their investigation, so he warned his team against interviewing Bala's family and friends. However, in 2005, in September, he received word that Bala was returning to Poland, and on September 5th, officers apprehended him at a drugstore where they took him to police headquarters in Wrocław for questioning. So Paula actually wrote in a statement that he was kidnapped, attacked, and tortured by police officers, who he alleged had forced him into a vehicle, put a black plastic bag over his head, and had taken him to a wooded area where he thought he was going to be killed. And Bala said the three men talked about money, so he thought they were kidnapping him for, like, ransom. The the attackers ended up putting him back into the vehicle and led him into a building where he claimed he was stripped, beaten, starved, and interrogated. Only when the men began questioning him did he realize he was in police custody. And Roblevsky told David Grand, the author of the New Yorker investigative article, that Bala's statement was absolutely false. Quote, none of it happened. We used standard procedures and followed the letter of the law. End quote. <laughs> but who do you believe? <laughs> who is telling yeah. the truth? Yeah. Bala's allegations were later investigated by Polish authorities, and in 2006, they determined that there was no evidence that verified his account of police mistreatment. Yeah, wouldn't he have, like, significant bruising or something? Like, you would think. I don't know. 
Yeah. It was too strange not to add in here. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he's a writer for a living and he has a wild imagination. <laughs> huh. huh. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. When questioned about how Bala got a hold of Yanishevsky's cell phone, Bala told Roblevsky that he must have gotten it from a pawn shop, which he alleged she had done countless times before. Bala also agreed to take a polygraph test, which came back inconclusive. Hate that. Which hmm. we know that happens, so. Yeah. Whatever. What's the point of a polygraph test, honestly? Because you can't use them in court. I think it's to, like, like if he'd failed, then they have, like, it kind of, like, twofold. I think it, like, gives them motivation because, like, haha, he's guilty. And two, like, maybe, like, knowing to press him harder. If he came, if it came back, like, if they have, like, a pool of people and, like, half of them came back, they passed it, they're like, nah, they're probably okay. Maybe, like, when mm-hmm. probably eliminate or, like, reduce it down. That's my guess. Fair enough. Yeah. But just don't take a polygraph test. Nah. <laughs> Say no. And that's it. Say no. And ask for a lawyer. Always lawyer up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless you're guilty. Then ignore then, our yeah. ignore everything we just said. Yeah. If you did you something know what you're bad, doing, just, just sitting there and you You take that polygraph, you do it. Come on. <laughs> you'll you'll pass flying colors, I promise. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> With still no concrete evidence besides the stolen cell phone, Bala was released from custody. Police were, however, able to charge Bala with selling stolen property and with paying a bribe, which was unrelated to Yanishevsky's case, but something that Roblevsky had uncovered during his investigation. None of these charges apparently came with jail time, but Bala had to relinquish his passport and was required to stay in Poland. So something interesting that The New Yorker and other articles I found on Murderpedia noted was the fact that a Polish television program named 997, which is basically the Polish version of America's Most Wanted, aired an episode about the murder of Yanishevsky and posted details of the case on the show's website, asking the public for any tips that could help solve the case. Hundreds of people ended up visiting the website and it even received hits from like Japan, South Korea, and um, the United States. Well, Mm. when Roblevsky received Bala's passport, he noticed that Bala had traveled to those exact same places. So he compared (laughs) Bala's trip dates to the time of those website page views and Roblevsky discovered that the dates matched. However, again, this finding was considered circumstantial. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they can't trace it to a computer, so how, there's many people in Japan yeah. and the United States. So I could see that. It, it is interesting that the dates matched. Investigators began to question Bala's family and friends, who were pretty shocked that he was being investigated. Most of his friends believed that the police were reading way too much into Bala's novel. Many described him positively, stating that he was friendly, intelligent, and easy to get along with. One of Bala's friends, who was questioned by Roblevsky, stated, quote, I told him that I recognized some details from real life, but that, to me, the book was a work of fiction. This was crazy. You cannot prosecute a man based on the novel he wrote, end quote. Other friends, though, recalled a more troubled man, especially during the years of 1999 and 2000, when Bala was dealing with his company going bankrupt and a divorce. The family babysitter told officers that Bala was, quote, increasingly drunk and out of control, end quote, and constantly accused his ex-wife, Stasia of cheating. Even after their divorce, many people said Bala was still possessive of Stasia and would check her phone, which, just get out of here. That is crazy. Yeah. Hate that. Hate that. She doesn't belong to you. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You can see what kind of person in a relationship I am. Step <laughs> off. No, really. For real. For Yeah, for real. While investigators knew calls to Yanishevsky's office and cell phone came from a public telephone booth, they weren't sure of the caller's identity. So the telecommunication expert knew that the phone booth was operated by, like, cards that you mm-hmm. had to use, um, oh. and that each card bore a specific number. So he was able to determine the number of the card used to call oh. Yanishevsky's office and cell phone. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. with now that they knew that number, they could trace all the phone calls that user had made. Investigators discovered that over a three-month period, 32 calls had been made to Bala's parents, his friends, a business associate, and his girlfriend. Ooh. He Please? has a girlfriend, and he's possessive over his ex-wife? I don't know. Can we... I know it's not the worst part of the story. He's just not looking great in my point of view. No, no, not at all. 
Nah. Police also discovered another connection that Bala had to Yanishevsky. One of Stasia's friends came forward and told police in the summer of 2000, she and Stasia had gone to a nightclub called Crazy Horse in Roswab. Stasia was apparently talking to a man that night who her friend recognized as Darius Yanishevsky. Initially, Stasia refused to talk to investigators, but according to Polish authorities, she was shown passages of Amok and was disturbed and she realized that the main character's wife, Sonia, bore a striking resemblance to her. <gasps> oh! <laughs> yeah. Hmm. hmm. I would almost... I, I don't know. If I knew someone who wrote a book, but it had a detailed people that were actually... Like, he was basing it off of other people in real life. I don't know if I'd want to read it. Especially yeah. not this kind of book, because it was I'm not the best subject matter. As it seems like she hadn't until then, so... No, nice. she did not. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And she Bloody. was just shown passages, so... I think I would read it. But mostly was to be like... Same thing, oh. like, if someone's like, do you want to know how you die? I think I'd be like, yeah. Oh my god, No! Oh, I would not. Why? No. Why not? I, because I I'd be freaking out yeah. about it all the time. Because if yeah. you're just told, oh, this will happen, not when or where. Yes. No, I'm looking yes. for details. Like, you got until your 70s, avoid okay. red okay. cars after we'll 71. Them, like, I'd like, deal. The very, the, the big question is, like, would you rather know how or when? And I would definitely want to know. When? If I, if I had to pick, when? Because you don't, if you, like, if it said, if you said why or how, they said car accident. I'd never get in a car again. Like, I'd be too scared. Yeah, what if mine's, like, choking on beef jerky? Mm -hmm. Am I supposed to avoid beef jerky for the rest of my life? Ex no. See? No, you want to enjoy I'll take every win. bite. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. No, you guys are good. <laughs> Stasia confirmed to police that she had met and talked to Yanishevsky at the Crazy Horse, where he gave her his phone number. The two ended up going on a date and booked a motel room, but she left soon after Yanishevsky told her that he was married. Stasia. Isn't he. Isn't. Wait, this is with Darius? Yeah. Isn't he married? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, wait. Hold on. There's a lot of names that don't really track with me. So we have Darius. He is the victim. He met up yes. with Ryder's ex-wife. Stasi. I think they were still married at the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, even maybe. juicier. I'm not sure about timelines. They may or may not. Well, he seems maybe crazy they enough. Married. It doesn't matter. Either way. Yeah. Regardless okay. of so anyways, they met. Following. Januszewski said he was married and Stasia left told police that they didn't get together again after that, but weeks later, Bala showed up at her doorstep drunk, breaking down her front door and assaulting her, demanding oh. that she admit to having an affair with Yanishevsky. He also told Stasia that he knew where Yanishevsky worked, what motel they went to, and what room they had booked. Ooh, that's, that's creepy. creepy. Yes. Yes. When she later heard about Yanishevsky's disappearance, she confronted Bala and asked if he had anything to do with it. Bala, Bala told her he didn't, and she believed him, not thinking he was capable of murder. Bala's mm -hmm. trial began on February 22, 2007, and if found guilty, he would face up to 25 years in prison. The prosecution claimed that Bala murdered Yanishevsky in a jealous rage. Roblevsky and his team had seized Bala's computer, and besides the previous evidence I had mentioned, the prosecution also entered vulgar emails, which they mentioned were worded similar to how, like, Amok's protagonist Chris spoke, mm -hmm. and graphic records of Bala's sexual conquests as evidence. According to the defense, Bala's novel was being misinterpreted and, quote, the police and the media had been seduced by the most alluring story rather than by the truth, end quote. Seven months later, the case went to the jury where they deliberated and found Bala guilty. Um, but this is interesting. So according to The Guardian, Bala could not be found directly guilty of carrying out Yanishevsky's murder, which, again, I understand because they don't have concrete evidence. There's not a murder. They don't have anything concrete. So I get yeah. that. And Judge Lydia Hojenska, Hojenska, excuse me, said that the circumstantial evidence presented to the jury was sufficient to find him guilty of planning and orchestrating the crime, but she couldn't be certain that Bala carried out the murder alone or with the help of an accomplice. And another interesting thing to note, according to The New Yorker, Yanishevsky was six feet tall and weighed around 200 pounds. 
So the theory that Bala may have had an accomplice is plausible. I'm just not Mm. sure who the accomplice would have been. Like, no other person has ever been, like, questioned or brought into this. So Hmm. I don't know. I mean, people, I feel like it's not uncommon for someone to be taken by surprise, though. Right. So I I don't know. Take that as you will. So he is guilty just planning and orchestrating it. They can't be completely certain whether or not he did it alone, but he is guilty. (laughs) And he was arrested. Yeah. Crazy. Sometime after Bala's arrest, David Grant interviewed him in jail. He continued to claim his innocence, and when Grant questioned him about the evidence the prosecution had against him, Bala said, quote, The calling card is not mine. Someone is trying to set me up. I don't know who yet, but someone is out to destroy me. Don't you see what they are doing? They are constructing this reality and forcing me to live inside it. End quote. Oh my god. I want to say no. you've constructed your own reality, and we're just trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. But... Do we, I'm sorry, Aaron, yet again, really answer, I speculate okay. wildly. Do we know, so the murder happened in 2000? Yes. And then it was reopened like five to six years later. When yeah. did his book okay. come out? 2003. <laughs> Bro, come on. Get out of here. But I will mm. say, um, okay, so real quick, I'll mention that. Bala also told Grand that he was planning on making a new edition of Amok, which would include an afterword about the trial. So a little fun fact Amok didn't sell well at all when it was first released, which probably had to do with the book's subject matter. It was very heavy, very dark, and the fact that not a lot of places wanted to have this book in their stores. But when Bala's arrest and trial went public, Amok actually became a bestseller in Poland. And it has, like, if you look on, it's, it's never been translated in English, so it's just in Polish. If, uh, what? I don't even know what website I was on. But it has like four out of five stars. It's crazy. Wow. That, yeah. Hmm. Is it translated mm-hmm. in English? Did you just say that? It is not translated in English. No. Uh, I'm not no, going to try. No. Mm-mm. I like to scare myself. <laughs> I consider it a way to lose weight. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you burn more calories when you watch a scary movie. Why can't a book be the same way? Mm-hmm. So Morgan, that may have been what you were bringing up because... This his trial was in 2005. His book came out in 2003, but since it wasn't sold well, I mean, no mm-hmm. one's but still, no that one's going to notice it. Is a little fishy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not happy with it. This whole thing yeah. could and be he continues, now a book. That's my my immediate thought. Like this whole thing could be a, a book, book within exactly. A book. He's a book and that's his a, yes, a book set. It was a movie. Let's make it trademark. What? I, think, I don't know what it was called. I have to look on Wikipedia. It was um like a film festival indie type movie I think somebody made. Um, Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, Bala says he's going to make a new edition of Amok, so I think he's already got it uh, planned. (laughs) Great. Can't wait. Mm -hmm. He also also claimed to Grand that he had a second novel in the works titled Delirick, which he told Grand would be would, quote, be even more shocking, end quote, than his debut novel. And I'm sure that is probably correct. So maybe it's a different murder he did 10 years before that one. So I'm just saying. Well, well, listen to this little tidbit, which I found super creepy. (laughs) Yeah. So obviously he wasn't and isn't working on a second novel since the police had seized his computer, but Grand was informed by authorities that Bala's computer contained information about Stasia's new boyfriend, then at the time, Harry. So investigators suspected that Harry uh, might have been Bala's next target. So maybe that's just his thing. Mm-hmm. He commits a murder and then writes about it as part of a plot in his story? I don't know. Can't yeah. you just use your imagination? Imagination. <laughs> like most writers do no he wants to be completely immersed (sighs) wow i've heard of method acting but not method writing that's a bit insane yeah yeah well for that particular subject yes (laughs) uh yes so whether or not he was planning on hurting harry or i don't know he had a whole bunch of details about stasia's then boyfriend at the time who knows um, Bala did file for an appeal in 2007 due to inconsistencies with findings presented in his trial, and he surprisingly won the appeal. Granted, though, um, 
So one part did strike me as interesting. I think there were other inconsistencies. Again, they didn't have much concrete evidence to go off of. But two medical examiners didn't agree on Yanishevsky's cause of death. One said that he died from strangulation, while the other said he died from drowning. So that was just a big piece that kept on getting brought up. Like, which one is it? Hmm. A new trial was scheduled for December 2008, where Bala was, again, found guilty and was required to serve the remainder of his 25-year sentence. Yay! Yeah! Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. Serve it, bitch! Serve it! (laughs) Today, Bala is still in prison, and so far, there has been no mention of his second novel being released anytime soon. Oh, what a shame. Which is weird, because now he has all the time in the world to use that writer's (laughs) imagination. Yeah. Right? Mm. 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 And that is the story of the murder of Darius Yanishevsky. Yeah. Well, Pretty that bizarre. Was, that was a crazy ride. Yeah. Thank you for that. Whoa. Yeah. I've, yeah. I haven't heard that one. I don't think he's so. guilty, though. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I literally, like, stopped. I said, huh? Whoa. <laughs> wow. No, I thought he was guilty like three minutes in. Like, this does is too much. Yeah. Noose tied around the It was crazy. I never heard that story, too. That's it. Crazy that wow. he would write about it, but there have been theories he, about that. Freaking I wonder if he would have got away with it if he didn't write about it. Probably, maybe. I mean, the case went cold six, six months in, so. Yeah. And Ooh. it might have been the New Yorker, which was a very good article. Definitely check that one out. But the writer said there was a theory that maybe uh, Bala felt guilty about what he did because the main character in Amok, Chris, also mentioned it talked about him feeling guilty and like needing to get it off his chest. But in the story, Chris got away with everything while Bala hmm. didn't. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who knows? It's cool. very freaking weird. Yes. But yeah, Wild. that's my bizarre story. Thank you. <sighs> Love it. Yeah. Anything else, guys, before I guess we end the episode? <laughs> I liked um, that story. It was a little bit not as dark as last week, so it was a good balance. So thank you for that. I yes. A little, yes. I thought little, so, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was very good. Definitely though. a little better on my psyche. Yeah. I yeah. don't envy you at all. I am glad we <laughs> chose what we chose for our pieces of this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why you're the glue, Aaron. Thank you. The glue. And we Thank just you. stick to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stick with you. I'm making that a thing. But no, I don't have anything. <laughs> nothing important to say. Nope. All right. Well, if you guys have any other stories or topics that you would like us to look into, feel free to email us at SinisterSunrisePodcast at gmail.com and go ahead and follow us on Instagram at SinisterSunrisePodcast. You can check out what stories we will be doing there. Um, Also, if you have not yet, go ahead and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. It really helps us out, helps other people um, discover our podcast. So Mm -hmm. if you're enjoying us, please do that. Just takes a minute or two and we would really appreciate it. And besides that, thanks for listening and tune in next time to a new episode. Bye. Thanks, guys.